From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. A quick note, we will be talking about suicide in this next segment, specifically in rural communities of Georgia. So if you or someone you know is looking for help, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Farmers and the rural communities that they live in are known for resilience. Over the past two years in Georgia, they've taken hit after hit. Georgia farmers have endured environmental disasters, stalled aid packages, and now China canceling all U.S. agricultural orders in response to rising tariffs. Recent research from the University of Georgia points to how those stressors could affect a population already at risk for suicide. Dr. Anna Shiat led the research and is here with, to talk with us about how this information could better equip rural communities in preventing suicides. She's joining us from Athens this morning. Anna, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So your other research has mostly focused on mental, hil- mental illness in the criminal justice system. So what is it that drew mm-hmm. you to studying suicide among Georgia farmers and agricultural workers? It was actually relatively serendipitous. I was in a meeting with uh, Sam Pardue, who's the dean of the College of Agriculture here, and he came in one day quite upset saying, did you know the CDC's put out a report and farmers have an elevated risk of suicide? And I hadn't heard that, but I said, I think I know a data set, a place where we can get some more information about it. And uh, I had done some work before with a data set the CDC has called the Violent Death Reporting System that records information on homicides, suicides, unintended firearm deaths, and was able to look at the Georgia data to start trying to find answers about what's going on and what can we do to help. Now, the CDC report originally said that farmers have the highest suicide rate against other professions. That was later retracted. But what did you find? What was included in the data of the violent reporting system beyond just the numbers or statistics? Well, that's one of the things about this data set that I found incredibly helpful was that in addition to the statistics, they capture summaries of the police reports and the coroner or medical examiner reports. So we were getting snapshots of the actual stories of factors that seemed to be happening at the time of the suicides. Mm -hmm. So we found a couple of things were very prevalent. One Similar to other groups, relationship issues and relationship loss was uh, very frequently associated with the suicide. One that I found more surprising was health issues. Mm -hmm. People who had suddenly gotten a diagnosis that was very negative of cancer or something like that, or someone with a chronic health condition and chronic pain who simply couldn't work anymore and didn't want to be a burden on their family. So when we look at these cases demographically and the data set that you were looking at, who, these factors, notwithstanding, who is most affected by suicide in those communities? Sure. In the group that I looked at, it was overwhelmingly male, like 97% men, white, um, and older. Almost 54 years old was the average Um, So that, which if you think about it, is sort of the demographic of many farmers in Mm -hmm. Georgia, white men who are older, uh, sort of evenly split between married and never married and with a high school degree. So besides these factors of relationships and health factors, another huge consideration for this population, especially financial issues. This is a livelihood Mm -hmm. based on a commodities market. So what did you find in the cases that you looked at? Sure. I found financial problems were listed as one of the top um, factors associated as well. But the thing that I think 
if I continued looking in this area, I would like to look at is how financial issues might be playing in in ways that we didn't necessarily hear in these data. For example, all these health problems. Well, how many of these folks had health insurance? How many of them had huge bills? And how much of, was a, that a factor in the stressors that may have led them to feel like suicide was their only option? So financial problems were huge. And now all of the data that I looked at predate Hurricane Michael. Mm -hmm. So I've asked and recently gotten permission to get more recent data. So we'll be able to look at that and see the additional stressors. But we're hearing nationally that the weather, the tariffs, all the things that you mentioned earlier are putting additional stresses on the rural communities. Right. We had Hurricane Irma in 2017, followed by mm -hmm. Michael in 2018. Let's look at crisis factors. In June, we spoke with Mark Peel, a cotton farmer from Berrien County, who weathered the hurricane, that political battle over promised aid, and again, the escalating tariff war. I mean, well, I mean, storms we're going to have to weather. I mean, the tariff storm and Michael storm and Irma storm and now the drought, you know, we understand that to a certain extent we're kind of pawns in this, this tariff game, but, you know, it's no game to us. So what do you think when you hear that, given the stories that you read about how people felt? There's a, there's a sense of powerlessness there. Are, are you worried? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think farming is one of the few professions I can think of where you can work as hard as possible and do absolutely everything right and still fail because of the weather, because of the tariffs, because of the policies before the economics. So this sense of helplessness in a community and in a population that is incredibly resilient and prides themselves on their strength and their independence, I think generates a sense of hopelessness. And we know that hopelessness is the one thing that is most associated with individuals who attempt to die by suicide. So I think it's an elevated risk. And even if it's not a risk of suicide, it's a risk of increased substance abuse, increased relationship issues, increased health problems, because stress is bad for our bodies as well. I'm speaking with Anna Shiat, Dean of UGA School of Social Work, and we're discussing research that she led looking at Georgia farmers and the high risk of suicide. So from the data and accounts that you reviewed, did people show signs when they were considering suicide? Yes, actually. Um, we had a number of examples where people had made suicidal threats and the individuals that they talked to didn't think they were serious about it, didn't take it seriously. Um, so verbal um, cues and indicators were common. There's also behavioral cues and indicators that were discussed in some of these data. So for example, in one case, a family member said, you know, last week, this person showed me where they kept their will. Hmm. And I should have known that that was um, a key. So if, if, and in general, you know, in terms of warning signs for suicide, behaviors like putting your affairs in order, showing people where you keep your papers, um, giving things away, leaving messages, there was, I think the, the quote that pulled at my heartstrings the most in this study was a farmer who left a voicemail for a friend of his. And it just said, my wallet's on the mantle and please take care of my cows. Guy, mm. it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it is. It's really sad. Well, and we know, you know, forever uh, farming has been a mercurial business based on so many factors. But farmers characterize themselves as resilient, you know, as patient. We weather it out from one year to the next. Do we know why so many of them do not end up getting the kind of help they need, even when they're sending out these signals? Right. I think 
in rural areas in general and amongst men, it's been shown in general, being independent, being resilient, being self-sufficient is highly valued. So asking for help is a very difficult thing. And in fact, the American Farm Bureau Federation did a national survey this past spring um, where they talked to people about these issues and found that 65% of the rural adults they interviewed or surveyed um, and 63% said stigma and 65% said embarrassment would be an obstacle to them reaching out for help. So it's just culturally not syntonic with what they're used to. Yeah, and just crushing. So what are some of the ways that individuals who are watching this, witnessing this, loved ones dealing with suicidal thoughts can do something? Well, I think the first and most important thing is not to be afraid to talk about it. And if someone is sending off signals, either through behavioral indicators, like I mentioned before, or actually talking about, you all would be better off if I weren't here. Um, who cares if I'm dead, those kind of things. Or you know that they've had significant losses recently. To just say something like, you know, you're scaring me. Other people who talk like this think I've been thinking, I've thought about suicide. Is that something that you're thinking about? And just put it out there and then do a lot of listening and support. How about on a communal level, those they come in contact with? Or are there changes that can be made? I think so. One of the things that I highlighted in my study and that I've seen other places is that in rural communities, if we can identify sort of the points of contact that people have with other trusted individuals. So for example, health issues is a, was a big associated factor. Well, primary care physicians, the nurses, the receptionist, they should all be trained to recognize these warning signs and to know what to do. Clergy, um, if you think about loss, think about funeral home directors, divorce lawyers, again, clergy, as I mentioned before, bankers. All of these people in the community can be trained to identify risk signs and signals that people are giving off and then to know what to do, which is listen and then say something like, would you be willing to come with me and let's get you some help and to really try and persuade someone to engage in a helping process and to give them hope that somebody cares and that there is something to do. There has been there have been cases where people are traumatized by whatever degree where social workers, psychologists will come to them and and try and approach them on their own turf where it might be more comfortable for them. Is that a program that you've seen work anywhere else and especially with rural communities? Well in general uh, mobile crisis outreach is a model where people will go to the site of the crisis and has been shown to be very effective. The challenge in rural areas is just the distance. So getting there quickly, getting information to, or getting intervention to people quickly can be a challenge. Um, one of the things that I've seen as a way to overcome some of these distance issues is telepsychiatry and telemedicine. Um, there's a wonderful program in Kentucky that works with veterans where there are computer terminals in a space called the living room in the library, which is a private room. And the veteran can go there and through Skype or Zoom or whatever, talk to their therapist. But it's not going to the mental health center. It's not stigmatizing. You're going to the library. Then you just shut the door and you have your intervention. So I think that there are lots of creative ways that we can be reaching out. And there are lots of people in rural communities with the capacity to help. And one of the resilient things about rural communities is that they take care of their own. 
So let's give them the tools to take care of their own. Well, this, of course, is not exclusive to Georgia. You were involved at UGA's Rural Stress Summit last year. There's attendees from all over the country. Here's a clip from Speaker Ted Matthews, director of Minnesota's Rural Mental Health. I would like to ask everyone in this room how many times they've heard a farmer say, hold on a minute, I have to call my psychologist. (laughs) Doesn't happen. So we have to figure out how to work with them how to get to them, how to, how to hear what they have to say. Farming is different in a ton of ways. One is that it isn't an occupation. It is a way of life. So when you that was director of the Minnesota Rural Health, Ted Matthews. Do you see mental health programs like those ever working in Georgia? I think they could. One of the other speakers at that conference also was from North Dakota, and they were doing wonderful work um, through their extension agents and in doing outreach. So I think there are models around the country. I think there are things that are beginning to happen in Georgia. I know our extension agents are talking about this. I know that the Department of Behavioral Health, their regional person who's down in southwest Georgia, has been doing mental health first aid trainings and the Agencies down there have been reaching out. So there is the possibility. But I think one of the things that Ted said that's really important is that farming isn't a job. It's an identity. And so finding people that farmers trust is huge. Anna Shiat, I want to thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Anna Shiat, Dean of UGA's School of Social Work. We've got some great comments on our Facebook group, GPB Radio's On Second Thought. About this very issue, you can leave your comments there as well. Coming up, the 400th anniversary of the first slave ship to arrive in the U.S. A somber moment, but an amazing project to explore it. Stay with us for that.